probably one of the most difficult parts of sheltering in place early on during this pandemic was the fact that there was just no news and no sports to talk about. Now the economy is back underway and with that, the world of pro sports. Stay ahead of the curve with unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Bloomberg.com and The Athletic are two of the premier news sources in both of these areas, and it'll get you covered and make you seem smarter whenever you're talking to your friends about economics, technology, sports, finance, or whatever it is that comes up in your socially distanced Zoom call happy hours. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com, and if you're not already a The Athletic subscriber, for a limited time, receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com backslash subscribe to sign up today. This is Melissa Lockard with Steve Berman from the Seamheads, a show about the Oakland A's. And we're coming live from the surface of the sun, where it's currently 90 degrees in my house in the East Bay. And it's been in a most unusual weekend, not just because of the weather. I think that Bay Bridge series was easily the most unusual since the interleague play allowed us to start seeing these two teams face each other during the regular season. Steve, you got a chance to see two of those games in person. And what were your thoughts on the difference between Friday night and Sunday? Well, uh, you wrote... A's bring the thunder over and over against the Giants, and yeah, I don't know what's more ringing my ears right now, the thunder from Sunday morning or the thunder from the fifth inning. I mean, the sounds of the bats were really just something I never actually experienced at a baseball game before. Obviously, no fans had a big part to do with that, but also, once the bullpen came in for the Giants, it was just crack, 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 as opposed to the Friday game where there was a lot of offense, but... It was, uh, you know, kind of a silly game where the the Giants uh, gave it away at the end. This game on Sunday, it just sort of seemed like the A's were pulling away. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because obviously those first two wins of the series were incredibly dramatic and are going to be memorable for a lot of reasons for a long time. But I imagine if, you know, the A's are being honest and looking at themselves, they probably weren't too happy with how they played in those first two games, you know, the ninth inning in both games aside. But Sunday's game was sort of kind of a rebirth of what the team is really about. You know, they had very disciplined at bats against Logan Webb early in the game. They could have scored a lot more runs against them. I think they probably are frustrated that they didn't. But the quality of the at bats early in the game were, you know, far more um, high quality than you've seen early in games. And one of the things that was interesting Bob Melvin talked about after the game is he's felt like the intensity of the at bats early in games has been down this year compared to other seasons. And he wasn't sure if that's because there's no fans in the stands to get, you know, players adrenaline up until later in the game or whatever it is. But they were able to lay off a lot of 3-2 pitches that were close with Webb. And you could tell he was sort of starting to get frustrated there. And then to get him out at that point in the game, you know, ended up being huge because obviously there was sort of a soft underbelly of middle relief that they were able to target there from the Giants. And they took advantage of it from the first pitch on. I really liked what I saw from them from a discipline perspective those first four and one-third innings against Webb. I looked at Mark Canna kind of as the being emblematic of what you're talking about with the at-bats, and I had to look it up just because his first at-bat, he had uh, nine pitches, and I was like, every single one of these at-bats, it seems like the Canna takes is at least nine pitches, or it seems like they're 12 to 15, and he's second in baseball going into Sunday's game in pitches for plate appearance, and that doesn't always 
indicate that someone's going to have an amazing offensive season. I think Kansas been pretty good. But what it does is it really is sort of like a long game, as you were saying, in terms of later in the game. You know, if you get all these guys out and the starters four innings, five innings into the game, and the bullpen isn't that great like it is in the Giants' case, then all of a sudden you could just start uh, exploding for runs in a hurry. And that's really what the A's seem like they have been built on for a long time. And that's how you get ninth inning comebacks and fifth inning explosions and really just generate a lot of offense later in games, even if maybe, as Melvin was saying, the intensity wasn't quite as high just because it's sort of a weird situation for everyone involved. Yeah, and I think, you know, earlier in the season, I had said something about, uh, you know, instead of nine Scott Hatterbergs, I think nine Mark Cannas is probably what they'd really want to build their offense around. And I think he has a lot of similarities to Hatterberg in that ability to take a lot of pitches. But I think what's really sets him apart is his ability to be aggressive and, you know, kind of come to the moment when it's needed. And and I liked his quote on Saturday when he came up with the, you know, two on and a chance to tie the game if he had hit an extra base hit with the runner on first. Instead, he was like, I'm just going to hit a home run and we'll go ahead and win the game here. And I think there's sort of an attitude that comes with him that makes his skill set even better. You know, for a guy that was a rule five pick, who was sort of underappreciated in the Marlins system for a long time, who was not a high round draft pick. He's somebody who has a lot of confidence. And I think that confidence really radiates around the players around him. And I think it really makes the kind of glues that that lineup together. And I thought it was, you know, fascinating, too, that they had this sort of offensive weekend without Ramon Laureano in the lineup because he was serving those first three games of his four-game suspension. And even from a defensive perspective, you know, he's leading outfielders in defensive runs saved so far, according to Sports Info Services. And so you would think they would have taken a significant dip in defense without having Laureano out there. But then can made a couple of really nice plays in center field and it's almost like that position is just sort of become like a beacon for what you know the A's best player is going to be that day but his ability to sort of step into whatever role they need him to be in uh, and then you know they were able to pinch run for Matt Olson in that uh, Saturday ninth inning and Canna can shift over to first base too I mean that, that sort of value I think is, is really underappreciated and you know he may be quietly one of the you know real reasons the team is able to sort of make this whole formula work. It happened last year too when Luriana got hurt. I expected the team to really suffer because he was along with Chapman to a certain extent, but Chapman was starting to cool off in the second half. Luriano really was carrying the offense it seemed like and then making a highlight defensive play every night it seemed like. Then Canna came and just sort of carried the team himself for a little bit while Luriano was hurt and he's a guy who definitely is defense. He, he seems like Stephen is flashy. You kind of worry a little bit if he's going to get to the ball the same way that Loriano might. But he seems like he makes all the plays. And that play he made on Friday where he smashed into the wall into the bullpen was fantastic. And so you look at the other guys in the outfield, too. I mean, Grossman's had a really nice year. He's actually one of the more fun base runners to watch, I think, <laughs> in baseball this year. It's he's, He just seems like he's always taking the extra base when he needs to. His defense is pretty good. You also have, uh, along with him, Piscotti, who was the hero on Friday and a guy who just obliterated a ball on Sunday to the point where I, the last time I saw a ball hit like that, that wasn't in batting practice. I don't even remember. I mean, Andres Galarraga is the guy that everyone remembers hitting it up near the Coke bottle. I don't know if Piscotti hit it quite that far, but man, when when that ball was was, was launched off of his bat, 
everyone in the press box and the area in front of the press box where we're sitting, we just all kind of went, whoa, this, this game is already over. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, like a missile coming right off his bat there. And I think the difference that his health has made for him so far this year, and it's ironic because had the season started on time, you know, he would have started on the injured list because he had that oblique strain during spring training, but he had a chance to recover, you know, maybe the lower body had a chance to recuperate even more. And, you know, you look at 2018, and he was probably one of the team's top players that year. And then last year, all those leg injuries really kind of uh, worked against him, and he became a pretty average player, and he missed a lot of time. But healthy again this year, and you see why he is so valuable and the fact that he's batting so low in the A's order I mean you you know look at a lot of teams and he'd be their cleanup hitter based on what he can give you and he's batting you know seventh eighth and I think that kind of is a, a testimony for when things are actually working as they should for the A's how deep their lineup is I, I do think though and I know I'm kind of curmudgeonly and you're coming off a sweep and 13 wins in 15 games but I do think there is still sort of that continuing concern though about situational hitting and you know it's one one thing to kind of take advantage of uh, mediocre teams in their bullpens in the middle innings or in the late innings. But uh, when they get to the postseason, which is obviously their big goal, they're not going to be facing too many of these weaker bullpens, and they're going to be facing starters that are not going to be pulled until they absolutely have to be. So being able to take advantage more often of your scoring opportunities early in games is definitely something that if the team has an area they need to focus on, you know, that would be the area I I think that would would require the most focus. And I'm not even sure exactly what you can do to fix the problem. I mean, you know, I don't think they should bunt more or or anything, but perhaps a focus on a two-strike approach with a runner on third and less than two outs, you know, could could be something that would benefit the team because it is amazing. Even yesterday, they probably should have had four more runs, uh, you know, based on the scoring opportunities they had early in that game. If you're looking at the A's right now, I'm actually pretty happy with their second base situation. I think Kemp has been really nice in terms of getting on base as much as he has. On base percentage of 444. Pinder is a guy who you could slot into anywhere in the lineup, anywhere on the field, I should say, and give you something good. I mean, his home run on Sunday was also phenomenal. I thought that was going to be the hardest hit ball I've seen all season until Piscotty came up like three minutes later and hit one 50 feet farther than he did, it seemed like. But I think really what we're getting at here is the DH has to be figured out. When Laureano's gone, it's not a situation where, oh, center field is a huge hole. Yeah, Cannon goes in there and he plays great and they're fine in that situation. But you just you don't have a nine-man lineup with guys who can all hit where if he's healthy, then it looks like now you might have that. And Chris Davis, when he's playing in that DH role, which is only happening about half the time these days, his at-bats just aren't really up to par in terms of situational, power, whatever you want to say. He's just still not bringing it to you. So I think that he's a guy when the A's are fully healthy is going to start playing less and less even. Yeah, and it's tough, too, because you look at at Sunday's game, and and he had a couple of really good at-bats. He walked in a 3-2 pitch early in that game against Webb that really started to stretch out Webb's pitch count. And then, you know, he actually did drive in the runner from third with less than two outs later in the game. But there were two big at-bats that, you know, you're definitely talking about from the middle part of the game where he had that same situation, and he struck out, I think, in one and popped up in the other. It just looks a lot like overthinking in those situations. He seems a little more comfortable and relaxed when, 
it isn't such a key moment. And, you know, that's hard to kind of get your head around a little bit, considering how clutch he's been for all the time that he's been with the A's. And, And you sort of feel for him because the mechanics are probably better than they were last year. It looks like he's not nearly as late as he had been before. Uh, but mentally, I think it probably hasn't cleared yet, you know, all the struggles that he's had. And, you know, if he is healthy, their lineup is really, I mean, maybe the Yankees are the only other team that can kind of compare to it. But if he's not Chris Davis, it, it is a big hole right now. And um, and it's unfortunate because the only way he could really get out of it is to play. But you're right, once Lorian was back, sliding Canna to DH makes the most sense. And then, you know, you don't see a whole lot of at-bats on the horizon for Chris Davis. So I, I'm not sure how they resolve it this season. Maybe they don't. And they just hope that, you know, coming into next season with a, a clear mind and, you know, obviously with his contract, he's not going anywhere, you know, that can, can be something that would be a rebound. But it is tough to see because he's been such an important part of this team for you know the moment that he joined them and you know you feel for him because you know how badly he wants to be doing well it is definitely you could tell sort of upsetting for him you could just kind of see it wearing on his face just based on the fact that you know he's a guy who was hitting 40 plus home runs seemed like effortlessly and now it's a situation where he sometimes can't catch up to the fastball, it appears, but then like he'll guess, and then there's breaking pitches that he misses by a large margin. It's not you know super close. He does have, as you said, good at bats where he'll actually you know have very long several pl- pitches during a plate appearance and and get a walk, but you know that's not quite going to do it. I mean, he still his on base percentage is only two seventy three. Now, granted. You're only talking 14 games, 55 plate appearances. I mean, this is such a small sample size. Just in a season like this, everything gets accelerated to such a certain extent. I mean, I guess people stop talking about 2.7 uh, this week as much as they were the first couple weeks of the season. But there is a lot of importance for all of these games, all of these plate appearances. And if Chris Davis is, uh, you know, maybe you take 50 games to figure it out, you don't really have that kind of luxury this season. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, how Melvin kind of tries to keep him ingrained with the team because, yeah, he's a big important part and the team really wants to see him succeed. And and that's really the way this whole team is with everybody. Uh, Chad Pinder afterwards, just the way that he kind of gushed about Stephen Piscotty on Sunday and he said everybody on the team loves Steve and he's one of the most popular guys here. And so it's really a team where there's there's no prima donnas, there's no huge superstar giant contracts. Chris Davis is the biggest one, and, and in MLB terms, it's not really that big. Everyone's pulling for each other, and so that's one thing they have on their side is that when stuff like this happens, it's really just pressure that Chris Davis is putting on himself. It's not a situation where the team is is worried about him or there's any sort of bad feelings about it. It's it's an interesting team that way because not all teams are that way in professional sports. There's always some, you know, some ego stuff going on and all that kind of thing. The A's you just never really pick up on that either when you're watching them play or or talking to them. Yeah, and you know, you look at Monday night starter and Chris Bassett and he's a good example of that. I mean, you look at last season and you could make an argument he was the A's most consistent starter and yet by the end of the year they had decided to shift him into a, a bullpen role coming into this spring. It was expected that he would probably work more in a kind of bullpen role than he would as a starter and then when injuries happened to AJ Puck and the shutdown happened, he goes back into the rotation and you know, here he is coming into the Monday start is probably the A's best 
starter so far this season, uh, maybe maybe tied with Frankie Montas, but you're looking at that level of a starter and a guy that didn't complain about the fact that he was essentially going to get, you know, sort of shifted into this less high-profile role. And and you also look at the way they've handled Jesus Lazardo and how much excitement they've had for having him come on board. And, you know, this was a very successful team before he joined them in September last year, and yet they still were, you know, thrilled that this rookie phenom would come up. And, and you don't see that very often. A lot of times the veterans are sort of resentful of these younger guys coming up that have a lot of hype behind them. And, and you just don't see any of that with them. And I think the fact that Lazardo is a guy that listens a lot and respects the veterans on the team probably helps as well. But, you know, I think the fact that they can embrace him and that they can sort of kind of pull him up makes it easier for him to slide into his role and probably helps him recover from, you know, what was obviously a, a underrated part of that Friday game, which was that it was the first bad start he's had, or first bad outing that he's had as a, as a big leaguer. And having those veterans around him, I think, you know, will make it easier for him to learn from that as opposed to kind of having that um, sort of build up a, into a longer issue. So, yeah, I think that that lack of ego is, is big and it's it's big on that pitching staff and, you know, pitching staff now that still is finding its way. I think, you know, the not having Montas over the weekend was definitely glaring. Hopefully he's back Tuesday. That's when he's scheduled to start. They need to have longer outings from their starters and having Mike Fires go six innings on Sunday was probably as big a deal as the offensive explosion, just given how much they've, they've leaned on their bullpen. And it was fun to see James Caprillion get a chance to get his feet wet because, you know, they have used the bullpen so much. You're not going to be able to hide a rookie in the back end of it there and to sort of get the little bit of the jitters out and the rust off in that first outing, uh, you know, right away when he got called up Sunday, I think was helpful. And uh, what were your thoughts on seeing James on Sunday? I thought that he pitched really well in terms of his stuff was great. I think he just got a little bit unlucky that Brandon Crawford ran into one. I, I don't think that was even that bad of a pitch. And he said so afterwards that he thought it was actually a pretty good pitch. He was going to check out the film. He just thought that it was the situation where a former all-star had a better swing than the pitch was. It was, you know, maybe a little bit too much of the plate, but still, you know, 96 plus miles an hour. And it wasn't exactly right down the middle. Not like Juan Peralta's pitch to Chad Pinder when he came out of the Giants bullpen. I thought also it was interesting. And we're talking about sort of the personalities of, of this team and the collective personality of the team. And I can't remember the last time I heard someone after their debut or just in general say to the press that he's was so nervous. You know, I remember, I think you saw, I saw a tweet from you during the game. He said, yeah, you know, saying, yeah, he seemed a little bit nervous, but you know, things looked pretty good otherwise. And he said afterwards, yeah, I felt nervous. And he talked to his teammates and his teammates, you know, universally told him that's exactly what it's like when you have your MLB debut, you have the jitters, your body doesn't quite feel like it normally does. He said that he felt numb. His arm slot was kind of messed up. He felt like he was falling off the mound. But he was able to get through two innings quite nicely anyways, and now he feels like he's ready to roll. I thought that was – it was interesting. It was, it was nice to talk to him afterwards. It's, it's another one of those personalities that I think really helps this clubhouse – stay the way it is you know you talked about Lizardo with uh you know no one having any sort of you know feelings of uh, jealousy or anything against him and I think a lot of that is due to Lizardo I mean you talk to Lizardo you have as well he's a guy who just is very likable he's very smart obviously very grounded doesn't seem like a 22 year old phenom or 23 year old phenom that uh that he is and no sort of airs that he puts on and that's just sort of up and down the lineup and and Bassett too as you mentioned 
he really struck me as uh, handling it very well last year. It was like nothing happened when he got moved to the bullpen because he was pitching really well. Actually, I remember I posted a tweet before the wildcard game and a lot of A's fans were questioning me and saying that I was completely out of my mind. But I said, honestly, I would put Bassett as the starter for the wildcard game if I had to pick. I just thought that he was a guy who was just so nails in pressure situations and I thought his stuff was really looking good. And I was like, just put him out there for four or five innings and then put Lizardo in. And everyone kind of shouted me down and said, no, it's got to be Manaya. I'm not saying that I was like some sort of soothsayer or anything like that, but uh, it definitely is a situation where I think Bassett this year has taken that from what he did last year and shown that it's not a fluke. He's a really good pitcher and a guy that would be, you know, probably like a number three starter on most teams. And he's a guy who only made the rotation because Puck got hurt, but he's definitely someone I think who the A's are going to depend on for the rest of the season quite a bit. Fires is an innings eater and not much more at this point. He said that he's felt better as the game went on yes, on Sunday and his velocity definitely uh, was a little bit better, but it's still, you know, his velocity is, is not really exactly great in terms of a major league starter. A lot of fastballs for 88 miles an hour. But I do think that Manaya, even though the results weren't that amazing on Saturday, I was actually pretty impressed with Manaya's start. He, he had the funny, you know, thing in the in the dugout where, or wherever they were standing when he pretended like he pulled the hook out of his mouth after uh, he was taken off the hook by that home run. But I thought that actually overall he was a much better pitcher and that pretends well for the A's in the future. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I mean, I think Bob Melvin handled him really well and that he got him through five innings, which I think was a, a kind of milestone he needed to, to get through. But he also pulled him pretty quickly. I mean, he only threw 78 pitches in those five innings. would have been really easy to run him out there for the sixth. But I think he sort of saw in that three-run inning, even though that Yastrzemski ball wasn't hit that well and it was sort of a crazy spinner as opposed to you know an actual you know real triple slash literally home run. I think Melvin has recognized there is something that is happening with the second and third time through the order with Manaya that it, it's easier for teams to pick up on whatever it is, is if it's his release point or, or something. The quality of the stuff isn't necessarily deteriorating at that point. It's just somehow hitters are seeing it better. So I don't know if that's something that's going to last all season or not, but it is kind of something to keep an eye on. But it was definitely good to see him get through those five innings and, uh, you know, really pitch pretty well against a lineup that actually, you know, hit pretty well throughout, throughout uh, at least those first two games of the series. You know, Monday night, I think when talking about Chris Bassett, it's going to be a good matchup with Zach. Gallon, another guy who you know throws a lot of strikes, isn't necessarily overpowering, but really knows how to pitch. A young guy that's already been traded twice, kind of inexplicably considering his talent. Um, Arizona's sort of interesting in that Madison Bumgarner's on the injured list, and yet they're probably better off from a pitching perspective with that at, at this point. And you know, given the way Bumgarner was pitching and the way that some of their other guys have have been throwing, and Gallon uh, is definitely one that's going to be interesting to watch. And I don't know about home and home series. I think this is a little unusual to, to go to Phoenix and then come back here and play two in Oakland, but I guess everything's weird this year. We have a highlight of Mark Hanna's home run being hit to an empty bleachers filled with people, so I think, you know, you're, you've got some strange some strange moments, but it, it should be an interesting series, and the Diamondbacks are, started off really slow but are, are playing well now, so it'll be two hot teams kind of facing each other in hot weather for four straight games. Yeah, I think the key for this uh, first part of the series, this uh first half of the home and home or road and home is is Montas and just seeing if he's okay you know I think at this point now even this early into the season you can tell that he's the ace if you have a one game playoff you would put him in if you have a game one in a playoff series 
I think it's Montas. Lizardo might rise to that level at some point uh, over the next uh, month and a half. But Montas has, has been, obviously, their, their best pitcher. I mean, he was AL Player of the Week last week. So if he can shrug off the uh, back soreness and have a, a nice start, give him six, seven innings and pitch the way he was before, I think the A's, you know, not like you could really look at much of what's going on and be that worried anyways, but you could look at what uh, the future holds for them and be pretty optimistic because the offense lately, I mean, except for the six to nothing loss in Anaheim, they've been scoring seven plus runs for the last week or so. And then it looked like their confidence was just soaring and soaring after they got those comeback wins. And you saw it on Sunday where it was just batting practice. It'll be a fun series, too, because uh, Stephen Vogt will be behind the plate for the Diamondbacks. It's always great to see him. And I saw an interesting stat that he and Sean Murphy are among the group that's tied for most defensive runs saved as catchers so far this season. So that'll be fun as well. And we'll be back in the middle of this series to talk about the two games in Arizona and kind of preview the two in Oakland. And uh, thank you so much for listening. 